0: Haul, roll, and go. Where am I to go? Meet Johnny, where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go?
1: Hello, and welcome to Where Am I to Go podcast. Today, before we start the show, I would like to bring up some business things that have kind of been on my mind so that you can know where to get more Where Am I to Go. First off, I'd like to talk about the Facebook page at Where Am I to Go podcast. It's on Facebook, and we've been posting some wonderful pictures of some of the places that we've been and some of the adventures that we've had. Not everything that we go and do is made into a podcast, and so we take pictures at different places and post those pictures so that you guys can enjoy some of the different places we've been. Also, I really am interested in listener feedback. I have an email address at where am I to go podcast at gmail.com. Again, that is podcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear some of the listeners' comments and some of their ideas of places that might be interesting to visit and go and do. Today we are in Pendleton, Oregon, which is probably, what, 200 miles from Portland, Oregon, going east. And I am with Matt. We are at the Pendleton Underground Tours. And Pendleton's a pretty cool little town. I went on this tour probably 10 years ago, just went on it again. Matt did a fantastic job with his tour guiding and explaining things. And he was kind enough to say that he would sit down and talk with me You are not allowed to video, and you're not allowed to audio the actual tour, but we are going to hit and miss different parts of the tour, uh, the parts we can talk about, the parts of the history that we can talk about. We're going to go and explore. So welcome, Matt. I appreciate you talking with me. Yeah, of course. So Pendleton uh, is an old city. In (laughs) fact, uh, it was founded when?
0: Uh, in eighteen, ooh, let's see, eighteen sixty is when Abram Miller settled in here,
1: and he settled in here as a homesteader.
0: Yeah, and yeah. then
1: uh, um, gold was discovered, or how how was it that it grew?
0: So, as far as I know, um, so after Abram Miller came in, Moses Goodwin came in, and he bought um, he bought part of the town, and then he built a bridge, and he started charging people to cross the bridge.
1: And this bridge went to.
0: Um, it just, it went across a, um, it was part of the Oregon Trail, and it okay. went across a river. And okay. so it was kind of the only way, if you didn't want to take your ox through the water, you had to go over the bridge. And pay the toll. And pay the toll. And so from there, he did, he built a hotel, and he built all these different places. And then the big thing that brought people to Pendleton was the railroad. Okay. Um, we were a hub of the railroad, and so people would stop in and um, build. That's how they made money, and that was a big job provider. And then from there, um, we started being filled with bars and brothels, and that's what brought a lot of people through as well.
1: Okay. So th- so was the town built as a as a rail building town initially, or just no. as a rail stop?
0: Uh, it was original. well, the town originally was just, um, oh, I know there's a deeper, I don't want to get the history wrong, there's a book about it that talks, um, it was just kind of, the family was traveling through, and they just stopped here, and. This parcel of land, and from there it was just built as um, they built a hotel and it was just a place for people to stop on their way of the Oregon Trail.
1: Okay, mm-hmm. and and Pendleton is is very much a recreational area too, sitting at the base of the Blue Mountains and some of that stuff. Correct.
0: Uh, Time.
1: Recreation, uh, hunting, fishing. Oh, yes. And, yeah. and that type of stuff mm-hmm. is, is what people are doing now. And, and most people would probably be most familiar with Pendleton from the Roundup.
0: Yes. That is our biggest uh, draw. I'd like to say the Underground is our biggest draw, but I know where we stand. Uh, <laughs> the Pendleton Roundup is one of the biggest rodeos in the United States, and our town triples in size. So that's what people would be familiar with as far as Pendleton goes. Not Camp Pendleton. My wife is originally from here and she gets that all the time. People say, oh, Camp Pendleton in California. No, it's a completely different uh, different thing.
1: Okay, and then the other thing that people would associate Pendleton with is the woolen mills.
0: Yes, Pendleton woolen mills. Um, that one was established in oh, the late 1800s. And yeah, we still have the woolen mills today. Um, I don't think they're doing tours of them right now, but we do have a shop here. And the other thing would be Pendleton Whiskey. The whiskey is not made here, but it is our namesake. A lot of people um, attach Pendleton Whiskey to Pendleton, Oregon. Okay. Yeah. And the
1: woolen mills have been here since the late 1800s. Mm hmm. Okay. And they make a lot of the the wool shirts, wool blankets, and that type of stuff. Yes, I did take the tour probably 15 years ago at oh. the Woolen Mills too. It was an amazing place. So yes, if uh, if you're going through Pendleton and they're running the tours, definitely stop in and take one. Yeah, because it is quite interesting. Okay, well let's get on with the the underground <laughs> tours. Okay. okay, so the Pendleton Underground was really active. Uh, what years?
0: Uh, so it started in the late 1800s when it was used as... Um, well, they were all originally built as basements. All the rooms that you see on the okay. were except for the bar and the brothel. Um, but other than that, everything was built as basements. And then in uh, the... Early to mid-1800s, the Chinese Exclusion Act was passed, which caused a lot of Chinese men to live underground. Okay, so, now let's
1: talk about this Chinese Exclusion Act. Mm-hmm. We, I'm going to try and pull up some history. You correct me where I'm wrong. Okay. Okay, we had the slaves, and they were emancipated mm-hmm. yeah, with the 14th Amendment, but that 14th Amendment did not cover the Chinese, if I'm correct.
0: As far as I understand, correct.
1: And so the blacks were freed, but the Chinese still had a very uh, second-class status in the U.S. Yeah,
0: they were very much, a lot of them were indentured servants, and so they were made a lot of promises when they came to the United States. Uh, Those promises were not fulfilled as they were supposed to be, but... Um, yeah, they came here, and it was basically, we know we need you here for labor. Um, especially during the railroad being built, they needed a lot of cheap labor. And so that's what brought a lot of them through, but people saw them very much as less than human. It was, we don't care about you, even the slightest. We're right. just here You're just here to work for us.
1: And they weren't really given voting rights or anything else until no, way were. later than what the blacks were.
0: Yes. So they were... Um, uh, they weren't allowed to bring wives with them. They weren't allowed to bring children. They weren't allowed to have children. They definitely could not vote. Um, I believe it was also, as it used to be with slaves, that it's, if they were in a court of law, that their testimony didn't count as much as... So to one white man, it would be three Chinese, whatever, uh, really? whatever that situation was, whatever they constitute as a full Chinese person in the court of law.
1: And so they weren't able to bring their wives or any of their family, so they had to come over here on their own. Correct. And they were indentured servants, so that means that they signed themselves away for a term of labor.
0: For some of them. Now, there were some that came. So when the gold rush happened, um, they heard about gold in the United States. And so they actually started primarily coming to San Francisco. Okay. And so they came to San Francisco on boats. And from there, once the gold really dried up, they started traveling to um, other parts of the United States and eventually to eastern Oregon. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. And so that's what brought them here basically was the gold? Was the, that's what brought
0: them to the United States was the gold. And then once they got here, um, a lot of business owners saw it as cheap labor. And so they started hiring the Chinese to work for them.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. And so did most of these men that came over, that left their families and everything behind, return back to China?
0: They wanted to. A lot of them unfortunately passed away here. Um, there, I mean, there's stories that I don't want to get into, but... Um, a lot of them wanted to go home. They, you know, that was what they were saving up for. They would send money back home and hope to eventually get there. But when they were here, there was something—just a specific situation. There was something called a queue that the Chinese had, okay. which was their hair, kind of like a ponytail, and that was a sign of honor or respect for them. Okay. And one way that the Americans kept them and said, "Oh, we, um, you know, if you do something to us, we're going to cut off your queue." And at that point, you wouldn't want to go back home because that was a dishonor, basically. Oh. Yeah. And so that's that. A lot of them, um, again, I don't want to get into any gruesome details about it, but a lot of them were murdered while they were here. Um, not just by Americans, but by other Chinese as well. So a lot of them wanted to go home, but a lot of them never found their way back home.
1: And you kind of mentioned on your tour that there was a lot of Chinese gang type infighting.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, what they call tongues. And so, from what I understand, it was usually a lot of like the. Um, on our tour, we talk about Hop Sing, who owned a laundry, not Bonanza Hop Sing, two different people. And uh, this was. Um, Oh, I lost my train of thought for a second. And so the business owners had one tongue, and then a lot of the workers had their other. That, that was another tongue. and so it was just kind of gangs between them. Okay. Yeah.
1: And on this tour, we, we start off by going down into the underground, into the basements. Mm-hmm. And there's several different areas down there. We went to a butcher shop that was down there, mm-hmm. and we went to the... Uh, bar the (laughs) saloon that was down there and explain a little bit about how the the bartender would would uh skim off the top in order to to keep his pockets Ah,
0: and so the bartenders would work very long hours and they were incredibly underpaid and one of their typical um one of their typical payments back in those days this ran and started in the late 1800s they had gold dust and so the bartenders had a little trick to get more tips um and they did end up getting you know up to what nowadays would be three hundred dollars on any given night. That's not too bad. That's not too bad. Yeah, not even a little bit.
1: <laughs> and and that was by just skimming little bit, uh, sneaking little bits of gold yeah, in the fingernails or dropping it on the bar and brushing yeah, it on. Yeah, yeah. I don't floor. want to give too
0: many details, right. anymore, just so you know, you guys can come to the tour and see um, see exactly how they did that. Yeah. yeah,
1: and then we we went to the laundry where. Mm-hmm. What was his name again?
0: Hop Singh. Hop Singh, yes. yes.
1: Where, yeah, where he sing. had his laundry, and you had a, a very nice display there. We <laughs> moved into the butcher shop.
0: Yeah, so we went to... So the bar and the laundry were originally downstairs. That's where they were always were. And then we move into... We see the basement of an ice cream parlor and a butcher shop. Right. So those the rooms that you'll see on the tour are recreations of what would have been upstairs. Well, we go into a lot of the history of these two businesses that had a big part in Pendleton.
1: And, and it's good history. I mean, you know, yeah. it's, it, you explain the businesses very well along with the owners and some of that type of stuff. It's, it's very interesting.
0: Yeah.
1: And then from there we move on into uh, the Chinese uh, facilities where the mm-hmm. Chinese were underground. There's a Chinese jail There's an opium room. And and explain a little bit about the opium uh, situation.
0: So the opium in the early 1800s, the British wanted to trade with the Chinese, but they had nothing to offer to them except for opium. And so they brought opium over to China to start trading with them. And from there, it started to cause a lot of issues in China. And so... um, there were uh, a lot of addiction issues, as drug use just in general tends to cause. Right. And, and we've seen it in the United States as well. But Well, we
1: kind of have a problem right now with opium.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so this uh, started to cause a lot of opium wars, which I don't know a whole lot of details about specifically, but I know it caused um, a lot of problems with the economy so that the Chinese men couldn't make a lot of money. And so one way they could make money is they heard about the gold that was happening in the United States. And from there, because of the problems the opium had caused, they came over to the United States um, and that they did bring opium with them um, because they still, even though it had caused so many problems back home, they still wanted to participate in it. So they brought it with them along with the poppies and that started to spring up in the United States.
1: And then from there, we move into another area that uh, during the 40s was used as a military recreation area.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we see um, a gambling section of a speakeasy and the main part of a speakeasy. Now, this was during the prohibition in Oregon and the federal prohibition, but after that, it got um, transformed into a dance hall for... Uh, For the whole community, but especially the men that were coming from Pendleton Field, which was the Army base up by our airport.
1: And and let's go back real quick to the Prohibition, because you explained this, and and I found it quite interesting. Mm -hmm. Prohibition in Oregon started in 1908, didn't Uh,
0: you say? So in Oregon in general, it started in 1914, and it was ratified in 1916. Okay. Now, Pendleton itself tried to start their own prohibition in 1908, and that was just okay, Pendleton. Okay, just Pendleton. Yeah, but in 1910, the Pendleton Roundup started, and if people have been to the Pendleton Roundup or um, have heard of it, there is a lot of drinking that goes on, and so um, our town triples in size. It becomes just—you uh, know, there's a bar on every corner— And in my opinion, the local government knew that they could make a lot of money from the taxes of that. Right. And so they allowed, uh, during what was supposed to be a prohibition, they allowed 12 saloons to sell as much alcohol as they wanted. Okay. And so during that one week of roundup, it wasn't so much prohibition era. It was... Here, go ahead and sell. And then during the rest of the year, it was, um, they had speakeasies, but everyone kind of knew about the speakeasies. And so it was just kind of a well known secret in Pendleton.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. And when did the actual prohibition come in uh, nationwide? The
0: federal, I believe, uh, I could be off a couple years, I believe it was 1920. Okay, like that was the federal prohibition. Okay, so yeah. Oregon
1: actually had prohibition prior to, mm-hmm. prior uh, to the that. federal. Yeah, so I prohibition. think
0: that, I think a lot of states started their own prohibitions, and then the federal government just kind of took it from there and said, "Okay."
1: Well, they actually passed an amendment, so that means two thirds of the votes had to had to go that way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, and then they repealed it. Uh, <laughs> t- five or ten years later yeah, whatever it I'm, I'm, not, I'm not way up on Prohibition. I did go to the Prohibition Museum in Savannah but uh, we didn't get a podcast there okay. So, <laughs> and, and I, I probably knew all those details when I walked out but as always my, my mind doesn't always hold all the details oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm
0: sure once you walk out of here it's all going to be out of your mind what you learned underground. So, well that's the smart. reason we're
1: recording it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay and uh you brought up a real interesting fact that I would, I would like to delve into, and that was the 555th... Uh, w-
0: oh, the 555th Parachute Infantry Battalion. There we go. Now, that is a mouthful, so we call them the Triple Nickels, and that's what they've, they've been called as well. So okay. the Triple Nickels 555. Five, five. And so that was a group. It was an all-black battalion. Uh, it was one of two in the United States. And they stayed up at Pendleton Field. They were okay. known for Operation Firefly, which is where they were sent out to disarm balloon bombs that the Japanese had sent over, as well as stop any forest fires that those balloon bombs had started.
1: Okay, and, and let me expound on that a little bit mm-hmm. because this is a little bit of history that I find extremely intriguing. Mm-hmm. But the Japanese, during World War II, had the schoolchildren build balloons out of paper. Yeah. And they launched these balloons with an incendiary device but they also had uh some technology on these balloons that would keep them right in the airstream that they needed to be in mm-hmm. and they would launch them from japan they'd get up into the coastal airstream that would come on down and around and, and would and comes i don't know if it goes up through alaska or down through uh, california but their hopes were to start fires all along the west coast to where the United States would have to fight the fires and wouldn't be able to put as much effort into the war with the Japanese. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a very successful uh, operation. In fact, one of the f- ways that it was discovered, from what I understand, is there was a, a balloon that landed down in Bligh, Oregon, which is kind of eastern Oregon, right on the California-Oregon border, And a family got out because they didn't know what this apparatus was. They got out and fiddled with it, and it blew up and killed several of the family. Mm -hmm. Uh, These balloons went as far as—I know they went further than Wyoming because I've seen pieces of them in in museums in Wyoming and Montana. Mm -hmm. And these balloons went and traveled a long, long ways. But it's a little piece of history that's just kind of buried, not real well-known and and absolutely fascinating that school children could build a balloon and they could float that thing from Japan all the way over here.
0: And my wife is a tour guide as well. And she actually had two people from Japan on her tour that told her as kids they remember making those Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so, but yeah, it definitely... um, what they sent it over to do was not successful most of the balloon bombs landed either in the snow or in the water and so they were very much not successful um but the ones that did land the triple nickels were sent out to disarm um and they did a very good job at that the family you were talking about in Bly, oregon that was um Oh my goodness, I'm forgetting their last names now. I'm not but... going to help you. I know no, no. <laughs> we have it on a sign downstairs, and I'm forgetting about it. Uh, but th- it was a youth minister and his pregnant wife, right. and they had brought uh, some kids from the congregation out to a picnic. And they stumbled across it, and the youth minister said, Hey, probably shouldn't mess with this. Let me go get the truck, and we'll leave. Well, while he was getting the truck, it went off, and it took out everyone except for... The minister
1: okay yeah yeah i knew it was so kind sorry. of a big deal but even after that the government tried to hide that these balloons were were out and about they mm-hmm. did everything they could to cover this operation up so that it didn't cause any panic yes and, and several of these balloons landed all over. It's amazing that there wasn't more casualties just like that one mm-hmm. because nobody knew what was going on with these balloons as they were landing in different places in the United States. Yeah,
0: it was a very, very secretive mission. Very, um, uh, They didn't tell a lot of people. It was just like the other group that we talked about is the Doolittle Raiders. And it was the same thing where they were, they were trying to keep that element of... Um, well, surprised when the Doolittle Raiders went out, but when people, they didn't want to panic the people of the United States.
1: And tell me about the Doolittle. So the Doolittle Raiders... I know, this, I've heard that name a lot, but I, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know the circumstances. Uh,
0: so this was a group led by a man named Jimmy Doolittle, right. and they got the first successful attack on Japan after Pearl Harbor. And uh, they so, were stationed here initially. They were, uh, so when they were at Pendleton Field, they were not yet the Doolittle Raiders. Okay. Uh, they were B-20B, I got this wrong the other day. I want to say B-25 bombers. Okay. I used to say B-50. Anyway, um, they were B-25 bombers training here, and their commanders came to them at Pendleton Field, and they said, we need some volunteers for a very dangerous mission. Not the exact wording, but essentially along those lines. And the men would ask questions. Where are we going? What's the mission? And they said we need volunteers for a very dangerous mission. They had no other details, even their commanders. Really, it was only Jimmy Doolittle, the president, and maybe a couple other people that knew about the actual mission. Well, most of the men volunteered for it, and they went off with Jimmy Doolittle, and they trained on those B-25 bombers, and from, um, I forget where they went, from Pendleton Field to train on the actual uh, bombers, and then they got onto what was called the Hornet, and this was the ship that they took off from to get to Japan but they didn't actually know that they were going to Japan until they were on the Hornet. Oh. Yeah, and so it was very hush-hush, just just like the Triple Nickels, it was very hush-hush. They they were not given a lot of information. The Triple Nickels actually didn't know that they were going to be in Pendleton. Once they got done with their training, they got on a train and were told that they were going to Europe. Okay. They can imagine their disappointment when instead they were stopped in Pendleton, <laughs> and they said, "Oh, you're staying at Pendleton Field." Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, and it was an all-black regiment. Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, how were how were they treated uh, w- with the locals in Pendleton? Like when they came into the saloons or the bars or the brothels or. Any of that stuff. uh... So
0: they were allowed in one saloon and one brothel in town. Other than that, they were not really welcomed. It was a lot of discrimination they were facing, so they spent a lot of time at Pendleton Field. Okay. And especially because people didn't know about this mission, and it wouldn't have made it any better the way they were treated, but if they were known to be servicemen doing this very specific mission to help the United States, it might have been different, but essentially they were treated just like any African. person would have been during that time frame of the 1940s 1950s okay yeah
1: okay and then uh i'd like to take a, a break for our sponsor and then we'll come back and we'll come above ground okay now we're with matt and we're above ground and we are headed to the second part of this tour uh you said that there was how many brothels and how many bars? Uh,
0: 32 bars and 18 brothels at one point in Pendleton.
1: And that was just in a what, four block area?
0: Yeah, about a four block radius.
1: And it was kind of known as Skid Row.
0: Yeah, Skid Row or the Red Light District.
1: Okay. And uh, for the most part, it was, it was servicing people on the railroad, people from the military bases, people, <laughs> the cowboys and the sheep herders and and those type of people coming into town
0: yeah so when um in the late 1800s when the railroad was being built it would service those men um when the uh, well in the early 1900s it was just kind of people the loggers the people coming in the cowboys ranchers um people that were still looking for gold in the blue mountains and then later on during world war ii it would service the servicemen that would visit from Pendleton field
1: okay and you were saying that that uh, most of the people in town didn't actually mind the brothels being opened.
0: Yeah, and so especially... That's, that's
1: interesting to me, because you always think of the brothels as being kind of a, a sub-element or, or a, a mob-type element.
0: Yeah, yeah. And in Pendleton, it was... I mean, everyone knew about the brothels. It was just... I mean, I've heard stories that people... I mean, they collected taxes from them, and... Um, I heard a story about uh, a kid that was sent up one time that he was going around in the businesses to collect the payment because his parents owned it and he actually had to go up into the brothel to get the payments and stuff. So it was a very well-known secret. Um, but during the war, servicemen would come into town and you know they would marry off, uh, they would want to get find a girl and the mothers in town didn't want their daughters to go off with servicemen and leave them. And so they were fine with having brothels because it was a distraction for the servicemen. Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so dishonorably honorable.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of an interesting little fact that, yeah. that you never really think about, you know? I mean, I guess they probably didn't want their daughters running off with the local herder either.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah. So they were fine. They said, you know what? You guys stay in Skid Row, the red light district. We're going to keep our daughters away from there. And. And I've heard stories from um, even tour guides that said when they were kids that you did not go down Skid Row. You didn't walk, especially, um, I don't want to get into all the details because it's not that entertaining, but the prism glass that we had um, was clear. And so people who are walking through town, especially girls in skirts, they were told, never walk over this prism glass Because there might be someone underneath and it was clear enough that you could see up so now the
1: prism glass is on the underground tour Mm -hmm. you've got places and and we didn't talk about that before where they had they put glass in the sidewalks Mm -hmm. to allow light down into the underground and so that's what you're talking about with guys underneath looking up
0: yes yeah (laughs) yeah and so that's how they got the light down and if you go through a lot of prism prism glass um, and even just smaller cities or bigger cities is um, it's turned purple now or right. The right colors. But when it was first put in, it was completely clear, okay. so you could see down below, and whoever was down below could see up. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: And so most most of the kids and everybody stayed out of the skid row area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But boy, I'm losing. Oh, was there a mm-hmm. lot of crime? in this area
0: um i well it depends what you mean by crime um because technically a brothel would have been illegal well but i'm referring more like mob
1: type crime or pickpocketing or muggings or Uh, was it an unsafe area or was it just an uncool area
0: i want to say that the the skid row red light district I, i don't think it was such a high crime area i if it is, I apologize, I don't I don't know entirely, but I think it was just the fact that it was a lot of bars down there, a lot of skeevy men. Now, at one point we did have the Rivoli Theater, which is our longest running theater in Pendleton history. It ran for about 60 years. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me. No problem. Um, this was on the uh, Red Light District for whatever reason. And so this was, if kids wanted to go see a show at the Rivoli, their parents, if it started at 7 o'clock, their parents dropped them off at 7 o'clock, watched them go into the theater. Whatever time it ended, their parents were right there. And so the kids did not hang out there, but it was used for something like that. Okay. And what's funny is now it's our main street where we have all of our main events and, and people businesses. where they hang out. Yeah. Yeah. So right. it's completely turned around from what it was once considered.
1: But you were saying once we came back up out of the underground tour, you were saying air, you had businesses on your main level and then mm-hmm. you had brothels in all mm-hmm. of the upstairs. And all
0: of the second story buildings. Yeah. And nowadays, most of them are still set up how they would have been set up as a brothel.
1: Okay, they just basically closed the doors and shut the upper levels mm-hmm. off and now the brothels closed, you said in 1957 1953 1953. Mm-hmm. That's really late. I mean, you know, you'd think that the brothels would have been shut down before then, or at least I think that you know most uh, most towns had their brothels shut down by then.
0: Well, it's interesting because I've heard of brothels that were running. Um, the one I'm really familiar with closed down in I think 88. And that's in Wallace. Idaho. In Wallace, Idaho. Yeah.
1: Wallace, Idaho was was well known for for still being open. Yeah, yeah in the in the late eighties. Yeah,
0: but here um, I want to say a lot of it was tax revenue, and the only reason they closed down and this I, I'm not going to get into a whole lot of details um, just because it's on the tour, but it was closed down because of a Presbyterian minister who came into town and he got them to close down all the brothels. But that's the only reason. If um, I'm sure if he hadn't come in, that they probably would have kept these things going until the 60s, 70s, 80s.
1: Okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's amazing.
0: Oh, yeah. It's wild. Because you see them on movies and TV, and it seems so, like, old school. And, you know, even in my mind, before I came on the Underground my first time, it was like, no, brothels closed in, I mean, the 20s, the 30s. They weren't running after that. But then you find out this whole history of them.
1: I mean, like they're still kind like, of st- going on. You still have mm-hmm. your your street corners being worked, and the motels taking care of that. You yeah. Know? I mean. Oh yeah, in
0: Nevada, it, they actually have brothels that are running that are still up problem, and running, just a wide just wide open. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I just I don't normally think of that as far as being part of a town business. Yeah. You know, clear up <laughs> into the fifties, like you were saying. You yeah. Know, you'd think that they were closed down sooner. Well, so we go on up into the brothel and. The brothel's owner's name was? Uh,
0: Madam Stella Darby.
1: Madam Stella Darby. Mm -hmm. And you talk a little bit about her on the tour, about how she was very well respected in the community. Mm -hmm. Even though people didn't want to respect her, they still did. Mm -hmm. And that she did a lot as far as community service, giving back to the community and Mm -hmm. and, uh, helping children's causes and and a lot of things. Yeah. And you also say that she was... uh, very interested in helping her girls be able to get out of prostitution and, and be able to, to move on to other things.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was her goal in all of it. I mean, she she was a businesswoman, so she was making money from it, but a lot of her goal was we want to get these girls enough money or we want to get them married off so that they can not be working in this business anymore. We want them to be well-respected parts of the community. And that's why part of I didn't mention this on the tour, we don't always, is that she if her girls were ever gonna go into town, because the ice cream parlor that we visit on the tour, the the working girls in Pendleton were some of the best customers, and if they were going into town, Stella always told her girls, first of all, you have to dress very nice, and you have to tip very well, because she wanted them to be invited back into these businesses, who otherwise wouldn't want them in there because they don't want to be associated with working girls. But if you tip me well enough, I can let things slide about your well, reputation. Well, and if you
1: don't look skanky,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, I mean,
1: you, you look good and, and presentable, then and, and that probably helps too. Now, we're, you, you, we've got Miss Stella, but we have 17 other brothel operators mm-hmm. in town. Were the other ones just as interested in community and helping the girls and and kind of the rules of, of uh, social engagement?
0: You know, I, I cannot speak to any of the other brothels in town. Um, just this I, one? Yeah, just this one. If you can believe it or not, there wasn't a whole lot of information written about the other brothels. Okay. Um, we only know this because of, um, or we only know a lot of details about the cozy rooms because of Stella's nieces. Who They uh, came in when we started the underground tours, and they gave us a tour of the brothel, and they told us a lot of what we know. But other than that, it was also very secretive. For a long time, Pendleton wanted to pretend like we weren't a town full of bars and brothels, and so we don't have a whole lot of information about the other madams. Okay. Yeah.
1: That's fair. Uh, All of your rooms up there are very well furnished. It's a very nice display, but you said that most of that stuff is not original to the... Correct. The
0: so when Stella closed them down, they, um, or when, not when, when they closed Stella down because she had worked with the local government so closely, um, providing a lot of money for them and things like that, they gave her enough advance notice that she was able to get all of her furniture, including toilets and sinks out of the cozy rooms. And okay. so it was completely empty when we got access to it. So we got in touch with Stella's family and they sent over Stella's nieces who they gave us a tour of the cozy rooms and they told us and they showed us oh this would have been here and this would have been here this is what this looked like so we were able to set everything up as original as we possibly could with items that have been donated or gotten at auctions and things like
1: that okay so but but the, I can tell you that the recreations are very nice it's all done in 1920s 1930s style furniture. Yeah. And furnishings and. Yeah, it
0: transitions because um, we wanted to show from when the brothel opened to when it closed. So when you first enter, you see a lot of 20s furniture, and then you end up in the very last room on that tour that is based on the 50s. Okay. But, yeah.
1: And it's all, like I said, very nicely done. The furniture is all top-notch and and very, very nice looking. Uh I'm assuming that a lot of the original wallpapers and some of that are still on the wall up there because it seems like... Some of it's, I don't really want to use the word disrepair, but it's not pristine. It's, it's more like what you would have seen. It's original. When you, it is original. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah.
0: And so, um, the major thing that I know of that we did is there are skylights in the building that we had to put wood in because of water damage. But other than that, unless it was a safety, concern we kept everything exactly as it was so
1: all your original doors and i mean the woodwork up there is fantastic it's mm-hmm. it's really a neat piece of history that's been preserved mm-hmm. now does stella's family still own that when you guys when the underground took it over or
0: uh i'm not sure who owns it nowadays um it's not stella's family anymore right so that's um i know the underground doesn't own it either but oh that's really that's um I don't want to get into a whole lot of details about this, right. and because I, I, I could be wrong about this, but I think the people who own it don't want a lot of people to know that they own. A right.
1: Oh, well, I just figured that the underground uh, had access because of some, like maybe a lease agreement or something. But uh, it's,
0: it's something like it's some kind of agreement. Like, but that's not it. I, it's I it's not really important. It. No, you get to go no. see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As long as I get to keep doing tours, it I don't really care who. It, so
1: well cool is there anything else you'd like to add to to what we're talking about some oddball history stuff or anything like that
0: um man i wish i had something oh well, let's see i don't want to get too many of the um supernatural people and a lot of people ask about experiences we've had and the one my wife again is a tour guide and she uh, there's a part on the tour where we see the entrance of a speakeasy and sometimes we do a fun bit where we do a knock on the door and we okay. have people respond. Well, my wife did it one time and um, she did it's the, the old, um, oh, what's the, um, to uh, shave and a haircut, two bits. Right. And she did the shave and the haircut and then normally you wait and let someone else finish it, but she heard the two bits back. But no one on her tour had done it. And so she swears to this day that it was, it was something supernatural like that. But that's definitely not the point of our tour, but just a part of the story. Um, uh, it's kind
1: of fun. We, we, we do a lot of different museums, and the supernatural comes up. Uh, we did, well, in fact, uh, I've done a couple of uh, podcasts where they actually open it up at night for ghost tours one of them being the montana territorial prison oh. they have you can get locked in at five o'clock at night or nine o'clock at night and get let back out at three o'clock in the morning oh. and you have access to the whole place Oh wow! and uh they say that some really interesting supernatural stuff happens and i just did another podcast i can't remember which one it was that has a, a nighttime tour also ah. So there are several places that that get into the supernatural pretty heavy, but I think almost any of these old places have those kind of stories.
0: Um, We did a night tour during the summer, but that one was um, not based on the supernatural. That was an adult tour. (laughs) um, There was drinking involved. I was a tour guide for a lot of them. It was very much 21 and up, and we just had a lot of fun going through and sharing the same history but throwing in... um, Um, some adult humor into it so okay Um, but yeah other than that if you come to pendleton and you visit the underground we also have um a lot of other history we have our heritage station museum which talks about even before the underground talks about and you can actually go through like an old log cabin you learn about the railroad above ground history Um, like you said the woolen mills we have um the Temuskloid Cultural Center, which talks about the Native American history in Pendleton as well. So, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's a great place to learn some history, and um, our food is, I've never had a bad thing to eat in Pendleton. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess uh, I'm going to
1: have to go find something here because it's pushing (laughs) pushing lunchtime. Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, another thing about your tour is even though it is a brothel tour— Everything is kept very matter of factly, and it, it's very kid friendly. I would say that, uh, <laughs> that it's not unkid friendly at yeah, all. Yeah, we, and
0: we our tour guides are very good at adjusting for the audience. Right, we're not going to share you know the same things necessarily on an adults only tour or a tour that is just happens to be only adults. We might be a little bit more you know vocal about some things, but if we have kids on the tour, we keep it child friendly. Um, you know, we, that's why I say working girls, and I don't say prostitutes. Right. I, you know, we try to keep it as um, historical without being offensive to some families who might not be comfortable with certain terms. And, and yeah. you guys do a
1: fantastic job of that. Well, thank you. Especially on a somewhat sensitive topic. Yes.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, you know, you guys have a website that people can look at.
0: Uh, we do. Um, that is, oh my goodness. I, believe it or not, I don't go to our website a whole lot. If you Google uh, Pendleton Underground Tours, it'll uh, come up with it.
1: And do you have a Facebook page also?
0: We do. That would actually be where I would advise people to go to is um, the uh, Pendleton Underground Tours website. Okay. And, or excuse me. Facebook um, page? Their Facebook page, yeah. And just search Pendleton Underground Tours. We are the only Pendleton Underground Tours, so it'll pop okay. up right away. Um, the website is pendletonundergroundtours dot org. Okay. Yeah. And so, but yeah, the Facebook is definitely the better place to um, to get a hold of us. Um, reservations, we only do it by phone. Okay. And so that phone number.
1: You can't just walk in.
0: You can, uh, but we advise getting reservations, especially okay. right now. We've been incredibly busy, and so our tours have been filled. An eleven o'clock tour had twenty people, which is the most that we can take. Okay. And so it does fill up very fast. Um, but if you are just passing by and you want to stop in and see if there's availability, then you can do that as well. Okay,
1: and the phone number is on the is on the web page because yes. I, I called yeah. it yesterday. It was easy to find. Your web page was was real easy to get along with.
0: Yeah, and that the phone number though, if, if they want, is 541-276-0730. Okay. Yeah.
1: Well, Matt, I really appreciate you taking your time and sitting down and talking with me, and we'll get this out and and let people start showing up to to do some more tours.
0: Cool, yeah. You
1: did a great job with your presentation, and and I appreciate your time today. Well,
0: thank you very much. I appreciate you coming. Well, as I
1: finish out my podcast, I always say the world is full of wonder. People need to get out and explore. There is so much to see, so much to do and get away from your tv come on out and see this stuff in real life it's way more fun and everybody have an absolutely wonder filled day
0: all the rolling go where am i to go meet johnny where am i to go
1: for i'm a young and a sailor lad
0: and where am i to go